Uh, so welcome everyone to this session of the Ex-Religious Support Network. My name is Les Allen. I'm the facilitator of the network. And this is a series of sessions on religious trauma. And Caroline Winsenried, our special guest tonight, delivered the first session, I think somewhere around a few weeks ago. And there she gave an overview of religious trauma. So in this next part of the series of sessions, Caroline's going to be delving into more detail on particular aspects of religious trauma. Let me say a little about what Caroline's going to be talking about um, and introduce Caroline. Uh, so in this next part of the series of sessions, she's going to be delving deeper into various aspects of religious trauma. And in this session in particular, she's going to reveal how purity culture began as a movement within the American evangelical Christian community starting in the 1990s and places a strong moral emphasis on abstinence until marriage. Since then, it has spread to several countries and denominations around the world. Caroline will discuss this pervasive form of religious trauma and the impact of its teachings on intimacy, sexual identity and self-esteem. So let me say a little about Caroline. Uh, Caroline is a professional counsellor based in Baronia in Victoria here in Australia and she works from an existential humanist, humanistic lens with individuals across the lifespan, from adolescent to older adults. And that's on issues including anxiety, depression, and interpersonal relationships. Her areas of special interest include working with religious trauma and grief and loss. So um, let me hand over now to our special guest tonight, Caroline Winsenried. Thank you, Les, and it's really great to be here tonight. So thank you so much, everybody, for having me. Um, as Les said, I am a counselor based in the southeast area of Melbourne, and I have a really strong interest in religious trauma. So I'm really excited to talk some more about that and share some more about purity culture with you tonight. So I'll just get up my presentation here. Okay, so some of you may remember me from the last presentation back in June when we talked sort of generally about religious trauma. But today I'd like to zoom in and take kind of a closer look at a particularly insidious movement within Christianity called purity culture and the harm that it's caused to people's mental health, sexual identity, and self-esteem. Please be aware that there will be some discussion of sexual abuse and sexual assault in this presentation, and I'll be including a slide at the end with some resources in case you find yourself needing some extra support tonight. Oops, there we go. So I'd like to start us off by kind of giving a general overview of what exactly purity culture is. So purity culture is an American movement that began in evangelical Christian communities starting in the 1990s and quickly spread to mainstream denominations around the world. The movement was aimed at teaching kids and teens abstinence before marriage and spawned countless programs, retreats, pop songs, and books that helped entrench its teachings. You may be familiar with some of its kind of more out there practices. If you've ever heard about purity balls where fathers take their daughters to these special dances and their daughters make a pledge to their father that they will stay virgins until marriage, or maybe you've heard about promise rings, 
those were really big in the 90s and the 2000s, that people would wear these rings to show that they had committed themselves to this sort of purity culture and abstinence. The core teaching of purity culture is abstinence before marriage. It frames any sexual contact outside of the context of marriage as sinful. And in some versions of these teachings, even behaviors like kissing or handholding, even dating, are viewed as sinful sexual contact. In purity culture, you are taught that your body is a gift to your future spouse. You're told that engaging in any sexual behavior before marriage is not only an affront to God, but also to this future spouse to whom your virginity supposedly belongs. By having sex before marriage, you're giving away a piece of what is supposedly rightfully theirs. Purity culture has very strong gendered messages. It teaches that men cannot control their sexual urges and that women bear sole responsibility for managing men's sexual behavior through the way that they dress and behave. Today, I'm going to be exploring the harm that these teachings cause. While some of you may not have been directly exposed to purity culture by name, you may have gotten some of these messages from your religious leaders and communities that you may have been a part of who chose to promote sexual shame. I'd really like to hear from you after this presentation about some of the ways these messages may have shown up in your own previous religious communities. So to the left here, I have a picture of a best-selling and highly influential purity culture book titled Dateable, Are You, Are They? And in this book, Look at You and DeMarco paint a really unsettling image of the way that purity culture defines your worth through your virginity. I'll read this quote that I've got up here. They write, would you buy a beat up old used car at a new car price? Every new sexual experience when you are not married puts another ding, another scratch, another scar on who you are. You keep running your car into other people and then you wonder why no one treats you special. Oh, I don't know about you, but this quote really kind of shakes me. It's um, a pretty intense way to look at virginity and purity culture teachings make it pretty clear, I think with this quote especially, that your virginity doesn't belong to you. Instead, it teaches that it belongs to your future spouse. And by giving away your virginity before marriage, you're betraying your future spouse because that is considered their property. These teachings are dangerous because they send the message that your body is not your own. This has grave implications for people's self-esteem and sense of autonomy, not to mention their safety. The framing of virginity as a finite zero-sum measure of your worth as a romantic partner is also incredibly damaging to your sense of self-worth. A notoriously popular object lesson in purity culture is the Tate metaphor, which is often trotted out at abstinence pledge programs. And I've actually heard a version of this myself. In this metaphor, program facilitators demonstrate that a piece of tape, once used, is no longer effective at doing its job of sticking. They compare this to your virginity and your ability to connect with a future spouse. You are told that just like the tape, you can never regain what you have lost. You are sent the message that you are defective and then threatened that no one wants a partner who is broken or damaged.
Purity culture's teachings of abstinence before marriage are so damaging because of the way they frame virginity as both an all or nothing binary and as a core of a person's identity. In purity culture teachings, there is no gray area of virginity. You're either a virgin or you're not. You're pure or impure. These teachings draw heavily on contamination imagery and metaphors to instill this message. Those who engage in sexual behavior are compared to trampled flowers, half-eaten candy, and dirty tape. Teenagers at purity culture programs are shown slideshows of graphic photos of STIs and are told that the only way to stay clean and pure is to stay a virgin until marriage. Disgust is a powerful emotion. It plays an important role in avoiding disease or danger. For example, stopping us from eating visibly rotten fruit or getting too close to someone who's vomiting. Although there is nothing dangerous or dirty about consensual sex, purity culture creates harmful links between sex and disgust. By tapping into this disgust response, purity culture teaches that shunning and ostracizing those who don't conform to its strict sexual norms is the right way to socialize. The fear of social isolation and the sense of shame that comes from self-disgust are strong and insidious reinforcers of these purity messages. The shame from these messages reinforcing disgust can be hard to heal from, even if you've left the faith or even if you've followed all of the purity culture teachings and you waited until marriage to have sex. After hearing so many of these messages that link sex to shame, it can be a tremendous challenge to unlink them. This can be particularly challenging for those in the LGBT community who experience anxiety, guilt, and shame around their sexual identities and orientations. A 2014 study by So, Brown, and Taylor found that Christians and even former Christian members of the LGBT community reported more internalized homophobia and distress over their sexuality than those who had never been religious. Shame is incredibly damaging. According to a 1992 study by Tagney and others, people who are prone to shame are at much greater risk of depression, anxiety, poor interpersonal relationships, and somatization. The link between shame and relational difficulties is especially strong. Several studies have found a link between shame and avoidance tendencies, as well as insecure attachment style, fear of intimacy, blaming others, and self-blame. Sexual shame in particular is also correlated to lower sexual satisfaction, according to a 2020 study by Marinikova and Sarkova. They found that unpleasant or painful feelings about one's sexual past can strongly impact on current sexual experiences and perceptions. This may suggest that the strong negative emphasis that purity culture puts on one's sexual history could impact one's ability to have an enjoyable, fulfilling sexual life. The researchers also found that participants who are more intrinsically religious reported more sexual shame and less sexual satisfaction particularly in those who had experienced sexual assaults in the past and felt that this had left them alienated from God.
Dr. Tina Sellers, an American sex therapist and professor who has worked extensively with clients suffering from religious trauma, has noted that she's worked with an inordinately high number of people in the purity culture movement who have reported experiencing sexual difficulties such as pelvic floor and erectile disorders. Children and teenagers who grow up steeped in this culture often experience stunted sexual development and education. Some purity culture programs and the school abstinence-only programs that they respond include a general sex education component, and this can typically cover anatomy and maybe the general mechanics. However, even these more progressive, if you will, programs typically do not cover sexual acts beyond procreative heterosexual sex. Students are left to learn about non-heterosexual sex, oral sex, and other forms of sex from their peers or pornography, rather than a In a 2019 study, Amber Corby Whiteley interviewed several survivors of sexual abuse who grew up within the Mormon church. Several participants described growing up thinking that they were the only ones who masturbated. And this quote really struck me. One participant in the study, Mark, explained that he thought he was the bad kid for masturbating and that none of the other kids were bad. It turns out a lot of those participants in that study felt the same way. They were really surprised to hear that this was a normal behavior. The lack of education around sex and the culture of shame that purity culture promotes can make it difficult to identify and talk about sexual abuse. Because of the focus of sex education within purity culture is on abstinence before marriage, there is typically no discussion of consent. Kids and teenagers are taught that there are only two types of sex, bad, sinful sex outside of marriage, and sacred, pure sex in the context of marriage. This leaves them without the tools they need to identify sexual abuse and assault. Purity culture is rife with dangerous teachings about gender and sex. The two core ideas are that men cannot control their sexual urges, and that women are responsible for managing men's sexual behavior. These ideas are incredibly harmful to both men and women. Men are sent the message that they are predators who have no control over their bodies. And women are sent the message that they are prey who must constantly be on guard to protect both their purity and the purity of men. Additionally, women are led to believe that their bodies are inherently sinful or dirty because they are capable of tempting men into sex. These ideas play into harmful rape myths, such as if a woman is sexually assaulted, she must have brought it on herself with the way she dresses and behaves. And another common rape myth, if someone does not actively try to fight sexual assault, then they must have wanted it to happen. This leads to absolving perpetrators of blame and instead placing the blame on survivors. It also ignores a very common trauma response called the freezing which is what often happens when people experience sexual assault. It causes them to try to go into survival mode by just 
being still instead of trying to fight. The messaging about men being natural predators is also incredibly damaging to men who are survivors of sexual abuse. In her 2019 study, Wiley describes a young man in the Mormon church, Jacob, who is primed to see himself as a potential predator. Although Jacob was in fact a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, he told Whiteley that it had never occurred to him that he might be a victim. He expressed, I don't think being a victim was ever something I was taught or exposed to in my adolescence. It was more being a perpetrator, right? It was more, don't do this, don't do that. If you do this, you're a sinner. You're breaking the law of chastity. Purity culture is, in essence, a culture of fear. Its success hinges entirely on the fear of being broken, the fear of betraying God and others, and ultimately, the fear of failure. While purity culture programs present sex as beautiful, sacred, and full of love in the context of marriage, these framings of sex are often drowned out by the focus on brokenness, shame, and loss. When people leave purity culture, they carry with them a pervasive sense of fear. I'd like to share with you a quote that I feel speaks to this fear from a young woman's blog post. Reading her words struck me deeply because although I've never met her, we actually attended the same local purity program. She writes, today I remember the day I first had sex fondly but at the time I thought the loss was pretty much the end of my life. I began having sex frenetically with little concern to my partner or my own desire. Looking back, I can see that the first five years of my indiscriminate sexual activity was a reaction to this idea that I had lost it all. It wasn't until I was 24 that I began to think about sex in a positive light even now, at 30, I still struggle to be fully present to sexuality because I'm afraid I will be seen as dirty and undesirable. I know that is the lie, but the voices from our past are hard to release. Messages that purity culture peddles are unfortunately present in many different religious communities including those that may never use or have never heard of the term purity culture, and also some non-Christian religions. If some of what we've covered today resonated with you, I encourage you to share your story to a support group, a trusted friend, or someone who might have experienced something similar. Reaching out for support and telling your story are great tools for healing, and hearing the stories of others who have struggled with these shaming messages can also be a really good way to make sense of what you've gone through and to know that you're not alone. The shame and fear-based messages of purity culture are pervasive and can be challenging to process and work through on your own. Counseling offers a space to take a deep dive into the impact that these messages may have had on your life, to explore, to process, and to heal. I'm mindful that some of the content we've discussed tonight may be triggering for some people. 
I encourage you to reach out if you feel that you could use some immediate support. I've listed some resources on this slide, and these are really good resources to access in the short term. I'd also encourage you to draw upon your support system and consider seeking counseling as longer-term resources if you find that maybe this has touched on something for you and that there may be something there to process further. I'll leave this slide up for just a few seconds so you can jot down these numbers if you think they might be helpful for you. Okay, and on this slide, I've listed some of the references that I drew upon for this presentation. Most of these are academic studies, and some of them are quite long, but of these, I would especially recommend the book Pure by Linda K. Klein for future reading. And that's all for me. So thank you again for having me here tonight, everyone.